Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. The weirdest thing about doing Letterman for the first time, I, the next day I drove back from the airport to my home in Newton, and I stopped for gas, and I said to the guy who gave me gas, he said, you didn't happen to watch Letterman last night. I just wanted to be recognized immediately. I couldn't wait till I got home. That's that's one of the downsides of, of being a comedian is this incredible desire for adulation because it's like a really, it's almost like a powerful drug. It's very hard for life's more simple pleasures to compete with that. And if you've ever gotten the love of an audience, it's hard to settle for the love of a, I won't say wife because she's upstairs. Um, It's very hard to settle for any other kinds of love. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Before I get started, I want to thank you guys so, so much for all of your support. Being displaced by the Malibu fires has been an experience that I will never forget. It's truly so hard to understand. You save boxes of your kids' artwork from when they were scribbling as a toddler. You keep memorabilia and you leave your house at a moment's notice and then you lose everything. But my mother used to have a great expression. It's not a person. It's not a human life. You can't get that upset over material possessions. But if you lose somebody in your life, that's a much better reason to feel that way. And although a great philosophy, it's truly hard to grasp, to be honest with you, with the winds, even though people have told me that it's still there, I still don't know for sure if it will be when I get back. But I've had a real sense of calm over this week. 
and I try to understand why. And my only thought process is if I did lose my house, then that's the world's way of telling me that I need to start over. So I'm thankful for everybody who's reached out to me. You know who you are. It's been extraordinary. And when it came down to it, all the ups and downs, the people who reach out to you are the ones that really mean something in your life. And yes, there's times when people forget or things are going on. There are exceptions. We've all missed a beat once in a while, but we always made up for it. And even those people that were kind of oblivious in the past few days have been there and they've been so supportive and I'm so grateful. And it inspires me to be a better person as well. And that's a great segue for my guest, Jonathan Katz, because this guy, there isn't anybody in the world that doesn't think that this man is one of the most special people you will ever meet in your entire life. He once told me that he was doing a show in New York City at one of the comedy clubs. It might have been Catch a Rising Star. And in the audience was the famous elder statesman manager, Jack Rollins, who told him he wanted to meet him in his office the next day. And Jack sat down across from Jonathan and said, you know what you really need is a manager. And Jonathan was all excited about it until Jack said, yeah, because what you're doing is a throwback kind of act. It doesn't belong in this decade. And you need somebody who can help shape you and get you to the next level. And I tell that story because to me it's funny because you get all excited within the business when somebody recognizes you. And Jack Rollins was like the Bernie Brillstein of his generation. And he identified Jonathan's talent. He knew he was doing something special. And through his relationships with Robin Williams and David Mammoth and his friend Tom Snyder, it led him to create one of my favorite animated shows of all time, Dr. Katz, Professional Therapist. And what a lot of people don't know is even when you create a great idea, like Jonathan did, and you have a suitor like Comedy Central who was excited about the project and one of their partners, HBO Independent Productions, president of HBO, Michael Fuchs, loved the project. So even when you have people on your side, sometimes things don't go the way you want them to. These days, you go to Netflix and pitch a show, they pick it right up the series. Jonathan had to make three interstitials for Comedy Central. One with Don Marrera, one with Kathy Ladman, and one with Larry Miller. So essentially he had to do three mini pilots to prove himself. 
but they still didn't pick him up the series. Then he had to make a pilot presentation for them to show and prove that he could make a 22-minute show, which he did, and then the rest is history. Always fighting through the no to get the yes. And you talk about the biggest no's ever that you have to fight through is one day when you find out that you were diagnosed with something that'll never go away. Over 20 years ago, Jonathan was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, yet that never, ever stops Jonathan. There isn't anything this guy can't do or hasn't done. And there isn't anybody in this business that doesn't love him and revere him. And if you can figure out how to have these kind of qualities in your journey with your profession, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of having the kind of extraordinary life and career that Jonathan Katz has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So you were a teenager and you knew what it was like to prepare. You knew what it was like to put the work in to be a champion. So that must have been the foundation that you laid forward for the entertainment business. But I still don't know how do you go from ping pong champion to the entertainment business. What's the inspiration? Well, some of it had to do with money because... The most money I ever won in ping pong was $200 at a tournament in Atlanta, Georgia, and that paid for my bus fare back to New York. So I, I clearly wasn't going to make a living at that. Um, and then in, at Goddard College, where I went to college, which was kind of like a, a drug and sex college in Vermont, um, I acted in a play, The Fantastics, I met David Mamet. David Mamet, probably one of the greatest writers and playwrights and film people. John worked with David Mamet, co-writing, I think, in my opinion, one of the most unique and original movies that I ever saw in my life called House of Games. Yeah, David, David, David won a Pulitzer Prize for a movie called Glen Gary, Glen Ross which is about the real estate business. This is the price of having a famous friend like David, because after American Buffalo opened, we went we went to Sardi's, which is a very fancy restaurant in the theater district in New York City, right? And um, also joining us were um, Robert Duvall, Tuesday Weld, Diane Sawyer, Mike Nichols, um, I think the actors from American Buffalo One was a guy named John Savage, I think. And so we, we had this wonderful meal at Sardi's. And I, I, I was probably the only guy there who wasn't... Oh, I think Jack... Maybe Jack Lemon was with us. And I was the only guy there who wasn't a celebrity. And the check came. 
and the waiter gave me the check. So I find myself in the position of saying, so uh, Tuesday, do you have, did you have the veal piccata? <laughs> <laughs> what did the bill come out to? I don't know, but I, I had zero money. I, I didn't even own a credit card. So I think somebody else picked up the bill and I just sort of slinked out of there. Because there, there is something about having a famous friend and all of a sudden this guy who is your friend, you're now sharing him with the world. It, it is an adjustment. And then we recently wrote a book together called The Home for Troubled Animals. All, all about animals that struggle with the same kind of problems that, that people do. Like we had a, um, a goose with Down syndrome, uh, an amoeba with separation anxiety, and oddly enough, nobody would publish that fucking book, and much to my amazement. When you do have a friend that becomes really, really famous, how does the relationship change? Are there some movies that they do and they don't invite you to be a part of them and you feel shitty or you don't have any expectations at all? Well, in the beginning that happened, when, when David first became very famous, it, it was difficult at first, but then, then sort of found my way back to him. And we've, re, you know, we've become very close again. We spoke yesterday for a long time. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he also lived in Newton for quite a while. And then he said to me one day, John, do you think I could move to L.A. and not become stupid every day, more stupid every day? And I said, no. But he moved there anyway. Moved to Santa Monica with his wife. And um, yeah, I'm close to some, one of his kids. He's been very helpful to my kids over the years. So did he give you the inspiration to be in the business or did you have the thought of wanting to be in the business before you met him? No, I mean, um, he did get me into the Writers Guild, but I, I wouldn't say that he inspired me to, to go into comedy. No, that, was, that was my own doing. I think I, I think I had the urge to be professionally funny. So you never saw a stand-up comedian on television and said, "Wow, I want to do that?" No. I did see I did see Stanley Myron Handelman. I don't even know if you know that, who that guy is. Performed live once. And I kind of got a kick out of that. And of course Woody Allen kind of what he did was sort of magical and I found myself reading his first book on the Madison Avenue bus laughing out loud. Um, I don't know, Barry, I think it was, it was sort of more internal than from someone else. Tell our audience about your first big break behind the scenes in music that involved a comedian. This has to do with something that happened in 1978 because I, one of my girlfriends at college was a woman named Valerie Velarde. And she uh, became Robin Williams' first wife. She played Robin a couple of my songs, and Robin asked me to join his tour in 1978 for his first album, Reality, What a Concept. He, when I met him, he was so hot from this TV show, Mork and Mindy. Um, and 
he was mobbed by fans after every show. And th this may or may not be true, but after one show, I think we were in Detroit, I sold a woman a vial of Robin's urine for $500. I honestly don't know if that's true anymore. But, um, you know, my, my, my comedy was sort of so soothing compared to his. Actually, I didn't have any comedy at the time. I just had music and, and a personality of sorts. But um, making Robin laugh was one of my big thrills because the last time that happened was at a restaurant in Boston. And I told him I got to see Senor Wences. Senor Wences was, a, was, a, was kind of a novelty act who would appear on the Ed Sullivan show in the, in the 80s, maybe the 70s and the 80s. And he, his famous, his hook was, Tsarait, Tsarait. And he worked, his, the character he worked with was his hand. Um, he made his hand talk. So I told Robin um, that I saw a, a performance of, of the vagina monologues with Senuenses. And I cracked him up, which was fun. Um, well, so... You know, Robin and I became good friends. We became fathers at the same time. I had a daughter who, whose name is Julia, and he had a son named Zach. And we would hang out together with our kids. Um, and he and Valerie eventually broke up. He remarried a couple of times. But I remained friends with Valerie to this very day, and... In fact, when Robin died, she had heard something on TV, and she called me and she said, Jonathan, I want you to tell me. I don't want to hear it on TV. Did Robin die? And uh, so it was a big responsibility to tell someone their husband died, their ex-husband. So you do this tour with Robin Williams, and are you writing music and comedy that he does or how is it working no he i performed two songs of, of my, that i had written and one was a song i wrote with david mamet called this heart is close for alterations but uh, you know, it's a country song and we were trying to write a parody of a country song but it was too good it was an actual country song and david who was friends with shell silverstein got a country guy named bobby bear to record it, but still never made any noise. And so what's the next step after you do that tour? Do you decide that you're going to go into stand-up comedy full-time? Yeah, because I, I was inspired by his opening act, Robin's opening act, a, a, an act named Rick and Ruby, who really funny people, um, and also inspired by Robin, obviously. But uh, I think I think the part of the story that we're not telling is what happens when Hollywood all of a sudden becomes aware of Dr. Katz because that that was something I never anticipated. I made Dr. Katz hoping I would impress a couple of people on my block and not embarrass my family. And then and then one day I get a call from David Nevins who was at NBC at the time. He wanted to fly me and Tom to L.A. 
uh, and pretty soon I had I had an overall deal with DreamWorks. Tom and I made a pilot for DreamWorks called "Giving Harry the Business," and that was that was one of the hardest times. He, Jeffrey Katzenberg, is a very difficult guy to say no to, but I had to. He was at DreamWorks at that point. He was asking me to promise something I wasn't sure I could do. He said, "He said, so Jonathan, are you the guy? Are you going to be the guy who's going to make this funny every week?" And I said, "Jeffrey, that's a very tricky question." He and Jeffrey said, "Well, look, if it's, if you're going to be all touchy and feely, forget about it." It was just he was a weird guy to negotiate with. But did, I did. Tom and I did get to meet Steven Spielberg. And I remember telling Spielberg that about, he said, how do you guys make Dr. Katz? And I said, well, we do all the animation in Massachusetts and we do the voices in Korea. And he said, he said, oh, yeah, we do a lot of our work there too. So he had no idea I was making a joke. <laughs> but that's that's the risky run. Yeah, and very often it was just Tom who was getting my jokes. Um, Tom said is actually really funny and just you know it's not how he makes his living um, but uh, and then I told Katzenberg a joke because he showed Tom and I the I forget what they call the, what do you call a rough cut of an animated film do you know I don't know what you call a rough cut of an animated film yeah well that's what he showed us and it was Prince of Egypt and I said to Jeffrey, too Jewish. <laughs> so um, tell our audience what your first big break was in stand-up comedy. I think my first big break, I would have to say, was when Rob Morton, who used to be the executive producer of The Letterman Show, and he saw me one night at the Improv, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, boy, I would love to have you on our show but you have to lose the guitar because David doesn't like it, guitar acts. Um, so about, I don't know, a year later, and letting go of a guitar when you're used to holding on to guitars is really hard, but I did let go of it, and I was able to put together a, a set for my first shot on Letterman, and I did eight more. How many auditions did you do before Robert gave you the show? Oh, I didn't even know he was in the audience. He had come to see someone else. So it was kind of an accident because, you know, one of my friends for years has been Stu Smiley and, and he's friends with Morty. Stu Smiley was a guy who worked at HBO Independent Productions and actually was an executive producer on Everybody Loves Raymond. And also Flight of the Concords. I think he... Yeah, I think he developed that show for HBO. So Letterman is your first big break. Tell our audience what it was like waiting in the green room, getting ready to do your first national television appearance, and what Dave said to you afterwards. Here's the biggest illusion people have about how how much preparation is involved in doing a five minutes on a, as a comedian, because his gift was making it look, Letterman's gift is making it look so uh, natural, the introduction. And we sat, I sat down and talked to him afterwards, but 
nothing was unrehearsed. Nothing was nothing was an accident. And um, my my favorite appearance on that show was his. I was the second guest. Jeff Goldblum was the first guest. And D- David introduces me, and as I'm coming out, Jeff Goldblum walks out to me. He says, "Are you the Jonathan Katz who went to the neighborhood playhouse in 1971?" And I said, "Yes." And Letterman said, "What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? Should we send him on another date?" <laughs> because I, I had I had thought that maybe I went to school with him, but I had I had no idea he remembered. <laughs> That what was more incredible was my debut on the on the Carson show, because my wife and I got went there together. We 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 did all these things together, and I'm just about to go on. I'm backstage, and she notices that one of the few hairs on top of my head is standing straight up. And she said, "What do you want me to do?" And I said, "Just yank it out." And I was in so much pain when she did that as I'm walking out on stage, but it centered me. You know, it took all the fear out of me and turned it into agony. And I guess that was, and I was so nervous. when, You know how what every comedian wants from Johnny Carson is that high sign, which means you did great. And I was so nervous about getting one, I gave him one. So of course he had to give me one in response. He didn't want to be rude. Was that more exciting for you than doing Letterman? I think it, well, no, because Letterman was the first time on national TV. I don't think anything compares to that. The weirdest thing about doing Letterman for the first time, the next day I drove back from the airport to my home in Newton, and I stopped for gas, and I said to the guy who gave me gas, he said, you didn't have to watch Letterman last night. I just wanted to be recognized immediately. I couldn't wait till I got home. But uh, that's that's one of the downsides of, of being a comedian is this incredible desire for adulation. Because... It's like a really, it's almost like a powerful drug. It's very hard for life's more simple pleasures to compete with that. And if you ever gotten the love of an audience, it's hard to settle for the love of a, I won't say wife because she's upstairs. Um, It's very hard to settle for any other kinds of love. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. 
No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. One, Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name of somebody, lots of names, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. It could be one word. It could be a sentence. It could be a story. Dave Chappelle. Uh, well, what's this is what's weird is that he was a patient of mine on Dr. Katz, but what I didn't realize that long before that, I was his guest. He had a talk show briefly, a very a very odd late-night talk show. Um, I think it was on NBC. He was the host of a talk show, and I was one of his first guests, and it was great because uh, he led me to every joke I wanted to make. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, he was so unsuited for that role of being a talk show host. He just is so wonderfully talented, Dave Chappelle. I think it was called The Late Late Show. He Maybe he went on after, um, 
Leno or Letterman? Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman's the sister of Laura Silverman, and that's how I met Sarah. Because uh, I had been working for Laura with Laura for many years, and then she said, "Geez, you should have my sister on the show." But meeting meeting Sarah was great, and they did Doctor Cats together. I mean, Laura was my receptionist, and Sarah was my patient, and I got to see her perform many times. She was very kind to getting me tickets to things she was in. And she, I think the town she grew up was in Manchester, New Hampshire. The Silverman girls are from Manchester. And Laura has two, three sisters. One is a rabbi and one is a comedian. I'm not sure what the others do. Bob Saget. Such an amazingly sweet guy. Um, And... I'm trying to think of how I met him. I think he, I met him for the first time in New York City with John Stamos. We had lunch together, and it was probably the most exciting day in the life of my assistant at the time to meet those two guys. And they were disgusting. They just made jokes about poop for an hour. But Bob Saget is really funny and quite gentle and generous with his time. And I think I was meeting him because I wanted him to read for this TV show I was making called Raising Dad. And the other two people in Raising Dad who became stars were Kat Dennings and Brie Larson. They were Bob's daughters. Ice Cube. Okay, this is this is my weird experience with Ice Cube. It was the last scene of a movie called Are We Done Yet? Oh, no, Are We There Yet? It's the last scene of the movie, and I'm just it's just me and Ice Cube, and we're staring at each other. Well, he's not staring at me. I'm staring at him. And I made the mistake of saying to him, you have a beautiful mouth. <laughs> oh, my God, I wish I could take that back. It was just so uncomfortable because there, there was no way to respond to that correctly. I, I don't think he liked me or even noticed me because my, my role in that movie was very peripheral. Ray Romano. Ray Romano was so much fun to work. I worked with him in, in Vegas and worked with him in Atlantic City. And working with Ray was so wonderful because no two shows were the same. There was also, He always changed something in his act. And was wonderful on Dr. Katz. In fact, he was the first guy who really figured out what I wanted from my patients, which was comedy. I I mean, I couldn't really help them otherwise. I mean, Dr. Katz, for six seasons, I only, I made one woman cry, and I made one guy feel better. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not really a good therapist, but I, I was not bad. I was, I was punctual. Ted Danson. Well, when when I had this deal with DreamWorks, they they were also producing a show called Inc. for CBS, and they, since they were paying me anyway, they offered me a role in that show. And no one, I had never done 
a uh, a four camera sitcom and working with Ted and Mary was great Mary Ted is married to now and was then Mary Steenburgen and it was just and it was directed by this the pilot was directed by this guy Tommy Schlamy and he gave me such great direction the first day he said speak up <laughs> but you know my character was the head of, head of business affairs and I was just I was like a, kind of the bad guy within a at a place where people print newspapers and I think that every comedian really wants to play a, a bad guy this wasn't quite bad enough but was was close my nickname was the angel of death why was that <laughs> oh, because everyone was afraid of me that I was coming to fire them. Louis C.K. Just a fucking genius. So brilliant and has done changed comedy in such a dramatic way. Um, it just, nobody saw it coming. He he has tackled areas, areas on stage that no one else has gone near, you know. And some of them, some of the areas he's tackled have to do with his own undoing, oddly enough. Um, but I believe he will be back. Multiple sclerosis. Funny, but he, but also a disease. No, no. Uh, pretending that was another comedian. Um, no, MS is so fucking complex, Barry. I don't know if you, do you know anyone else with MS? I do not. Yeah, no one has the same version, but I was diagnosed in 1997 and I keep trying to reach the doctor who diagnosed me to see if she's changed her mind. <laughs> How do you know something's wrong? Well, you know, I was actually working on ink when I first realized that something was wrong because I noticed that after every, at the end of every, every episode, all the actors would come up front and take a, a bow. And every, every week it took me a little bit longer to get to the front to take a bow. And then there's also this weird thing, and I'm sure you're going to notice it in yourself as soon as I tell you what it is. Do you ever wake up in the morning and, you, and this, this sticky stuff in your eyes? Yes, sir. That's MS. No, no, that's not MS. I'm sorry. No, there's something called the Lermite presentation, which was named after Dr. Lermite, where you put your chin to your chest, and there's sort of an electric sensation that goes through your body. That's one of the interesting presentations but for the, the first thing i noticed was numbness on my mouth and my forehead and it's a, it's a life complicating disease it's not a life threatening disease so that's a good part and i've learned how to live with it and for our audience that doesn't know what are the things that happen to you when you have ms well and also, does your audience know that MS stands for multiple sclerosis? Because they don't know that. Um, well, it, effect, it affects your mobility. It affects, in my case, your vision. I haven't driven a car in many years. Um, let's see, what else? Your, your dexterity. You know, I keep my... That, those are the three big things to me because I can't play the guitar anymore. I used to be a good guitarist, but my left hand doesn't move fast enough. No, I can play a lot of synth synthesized instruments, but it's different than I have. It's different than the 
muscle memories I have for playing guitar. Is there a point where you make a decision, guess I'm not walking anymore, I guess I'm not playing the guitar anymore? Is there a day that you just wake up and it's like, okay, this is the day when I guess I'm not playing anymore. This is the day when I'm not walking anymore. Well, uh, do you know what you know what a lap steel guitar is? Yes. You know, it's it's how every episode of Breaking Bad began with the sound of a lap steel guitar. Um, and I'm trying to teach myself how to play that instrument because I, my right hand is good enough to pick, and my left hand I play with a slide. It's a, it's a hard instrument, but it's worth it. It's a great sound. Um, but there is, I'm guessing everyone has a different degree of decline in their health. And mine is kind of gradual, but steady. Um, and then some people have this really rapid decline where they, they are the people who wake up one day and can't walk anymore. Or, you know, I've, Heard of people much younger than me. I, I was 49 years old when I was diagnosed, so I had 49 very healthy years behind me. The Dr. Katz Audible Show. This is such a wonderful discovery because there are not a whole lot of ways I can keep working as hard as I like to work. And this is one of them um, because I can record in my home. I can record in my home. I can work with the comedians I love. And it's a show that it's a just an audio-only version of Dr. Katz. And, y y you know, I, I think you know every, every one of my patients, either personally or professionally, in, in this, in Dr. Katz, the audio book, which is the most recent season. And we also recorded two live shows, one in L.A. and one in San Francisco. And just a very different feeling doing therapy in front of a live audience. Who were the comedians that did the live versions? Well, the live version, the one in L.A. was Jenny Slate, Kristen Schaal, John Hamm, um, Al Madrigal. And my favorite was Paul F. Tompkins who's just this ma amazing improvisational actor. And I, th and I think, Barry, that the audience really likes, likes it when I lose control, when I can't, get, can't stop laughing. And in San Francisco, I got to work with Fred Willard, which is like a dream come true. A guy named, a guy named Baron Vaughn, who's wonderful, um, Kate McCucci, Scott Thompson. Where do people get that? It's on. You go to audible. dot com and you search for Doctor Katz, and you will find it. Awesome! Your proudest moment in show business. I'm thinking. Well, you know, maybe one of them was have ask. I told a joke to uh, somebody who works with Gary Shandling, and he told the joke to Gary, and Gary asked if I could, if he could do it on his next special. That was really exciting, and also getting calls from people like Gary Shandling, Richard Lewis, 
about doing wanting to do that to cats? Because that became some, uh, not just, it started out as something I would call in and ask my friends like Don Myrera, all the guys I started out with, if they wanted to do this thing for me, Larry Miller, uh, Kathy Ladman. And then it was the comedians calling me. So that was really exciting. It's not a moment, but I guess it was a, a bunch of moments. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Well, I guess more, I guess one of them was not being able to publish that book with David, the, the uh, Home for Troubled Animals. Um, I just thought that with my name, Emmy and Peabody Award winner, and David Pulitzer Prize winner, somebody would want to publish a book, but apparently it's not that simple. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small town who has aspirations of doing bigger things and how do they get to the point where they navigate through their lives and all the different incarnations of what happens to them and be able to do all the things that you've done and have the kind of career that you've had. Well, I'm going to start with the comedian part because so many people come to me for advice. I'm sure you experience this tenfold, but I always tell them to get get as much stage time as they can, no matter where they live. And if they go to college, perform for their, perform at college. But try not to f perform just for friends, because they won't tell you the truth about a joke. If you if you want to write for TV or for screenplays, you should you should write as much as you can. And if typing is a problem, you should learn how to write with your voice, uh, which is very doable. Um, also. If you want to work in television or film, you should focus on something as specific as possible. Like I got so excited one day when somebody called me about he wants to get a job in post-production. Because that's a world that's not as, that's a smaller world than the world of show business. So you should learn how to edit either video or audio or both. Um... You should be comfortable stealing money from your parents. Uh, if, you, if you have an illness like mine, you should become familiar with the Americans with Disability Acts. It's very complicated about the whole issue of disclosing a, a physical disability. Because if you don't disclose it, then there's no response. Like I was working for Paramount. And they were not obliged to accommodate me unless I dis until I disclosed my illness. But if I had disclosed it, I might have gotten fired. So that's that's a complicated issue to think about. I th I would say never take no for an answer. Answer, but I mean, when I was starting out at the Improv in New York, there was one comedian. I won't mention her name who I always thought would be the biggest star in the country. 
because she was so aggressive about getting on stage when there was somebody important, quote-unquote, in the audience. And that was not the case. It takes more than that kind of desire. I think the best advice about comedy was came from a guy named Mark Schiff, who said to me, the best com comedy is the most personal. Jonathan Katz, this has been an honor. I am so grateful that you took the time to spend with me today and our audience, and I feel so, so strongly about you. Oh, that's very sweet, Barry. Thank you so much, man. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on pure insightful delight, five stars, March 7th, 2015 by Lori M821. All right. Hi, Lori. It reads, there is no one who knows how to tell a story better than Barry. The intros he does for his guests are eye-opening, insightful, and worth the download alone. Have learned more about the entertainment business listening to this podcast than my over 10 years working in it. I highly recommend it to everybody. Wow. Lori M821, thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. You are a winner. And that wraps up part two of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Wondery. Check out their lineup of some of the greatest podcasts in the world at Wondery.com. And AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world.
and Good Company, an extraordinary web series on YouTube that host Scott Bowling created, where you can watch music interviews with incredible artists talking openly about their journey in the music business. If you like a great in-depth music interview where you can hear about each album in chronological order and what the artist experienced along the way, this is the show for you. Interviews with incredible talents like Michael Sweet from Striper, Clinton Lejean from Seven Dust, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, Elias from Nonpoint, Mikey from Islander, Sonny from POD, and Rich Ward from Fozzy and Stuck Mojo, just to name a few. Check out Good Company on any social media outlet under Good Company with Bowling or go to www.scottgoodcompany.com. And finally, Boku Superfoods, the purest, most potent, and delicious certified organic, kosher, and vegan superfood blends on the planet. Boku Superfood is changing the game for thousands of people in 65 countries with their incredible formulated powers that you just add any liquid to and make the healthiest drinks or smoothies in the world. Just go to BokuSuperfood.com. That's B-O-K-U Superfood.com. Look for the three-pack trial. Enter the promo code Barry at checkout. Just pay a minimal shipping fee and get a full week's supply of Boku Superfood for free. I guarantee you'll look and feel better and understand why Boku is the number one family-owned superfood company in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Kevin Hart. I think a lot of people love to talk about what they're going to do. A lot of people love the way it sounds when you say, I'm going to do this. But you're almost saying it, you know, for approval. You're almost saying it for a response. Uh, I don't believe in talking. I believe in doing. So I would say, you know, try your best to become a doer. Surround yourself with other doers. Surround yourself with other people who want something out of life. You know, if you look around and you got five people that enjoy sitting down in the same spot for a large amount of time during the day, nine times out of ten, you're going to love it as well because your surrounding has made it comfortable. You have to surround yourself with people that like to get up and move around. Um, And in this business, that's what you need to be. You need to be somebody that gets up, that's not afraid to move around, that's not afraid to figure it out. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, because you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Johnny 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.